welcome to episode four of The International Classroom, a podcast for educators who are passionate about working and living abroad. Today, we're joined by Joyce Matthews, a globally recognized trainer of facilitators. In this episode, we'll dive into Joyce's expertise in using the principles of andragogy to develop leadership skills. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Very professional looking there. Very, we weren't doing anything off camera then, weren't we at all? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. No, I wasn't drinking gin, honestly. No, it's tea. It's tea. <laughs> I, am, I am absolutely delighted to have you here with me today, Joyce. So thank you very, first of all, thank you very much for giving up your time to speak with me. And I just want to dive straight into it and ask you a little bit about who you are, what you do and, and how you got to where you are to today. Okay. Thank you very much, Alex, for having me and putting up with my bad timekeeping. Uh, so Joyce Matthews, who am I? I don't know if I'm still a teacher. Do I still count myself as a teacher? I was a PE teacher, but I saw a big long thread once quite recently on Twitter that said you can't call yourself a teacher if you're not in the classroom anymore. So former teacher, um, top PE, graduated in Scotland, a very, very unique degree, which was five to 18. And it was four years of pure PE. Uh, never taught in Scotland. The year I graduated, there wasn't a single job. And our college principal said, we've uh, qualified you all to export you. Now, a lot of my year, there only was 42 in my year. They all went to exotic places like Saudi, um, Hong Kong, all over the place. And I went to Scunthorpe. Um, yeah, just as exotic, really. <laughs> taught there for a couple of years, Norfolk for about 12 and a half years, and then moved to Newcastle as advisory teacher for PE. So I, stopped, I taught in state schools, comprehensives, um, finished in a private girls boarding school, and then went as advisory teacher to Newcastle. So I worked across all the schools in Newcastle, which I think was about 86 primaries, secondaries, middle schools, a um, lot of pupils. A um, lot of variation and great fun to work with all the teachers to develop PE in school sport. Uh, the job sort of evolved and then I became a manager of a school sport partnership, which again was a great project and was increasing grassroots sport and improving PE. And then 2011, the government pulled the funding just before the Olympics and I thought, you know what, I think I'm done with working in a school, being a teacher, and I set up my own business in 2011. And when I was setting it up, I decided that I really wanted to work internationally because I love to travel. And most people that follow me on Twitter and Instagram know that I'm always traveling somewhere. So I targeted the foreign market. And based on what I was being employed to do, I was trained by the National College as a facilitator. I was facilitating school leadership specialising really on andragogy and the development of andragogy and that's just how my job has evolved really. So that brings us to the current day and I imagine and I've got the question people listen to as well what what is andragogy? Well it depends how you want to look at it and this is the thing with adults and andragogy Everybody has a different map of the world. So some people, when they're looking up andragogy, will go for the dictionary definition. And the dictionary definition is adult learning. Some people might go for the translation from the Greek. And the translation from the Greek, andra, man, goji, from agogos, to lead. So you can either decide if it's adult learning or if it's leading adults. To me, 
it's exactly the same. If you're leading adults, you're he- helping adults to learn and develop. So same thing. Well, thank you for that. I've learned something new there um, because I think most people, most people, teachers who are listening to this or anyone else who's listening to this have heard of pedagogy, haven't they, in terms of you know, teachers use it all the time. And I think it's also one of those buzzwords that you can use without really understanding it. Um, and I remember, I remember using andragogy in a phrase once and someone looked at me like I had two heads. I find this fascinating that for something like adult learning and adult leadership, it's not used more of in schools. So what, what inspired you to go down that route? Uh, so when I was, um, when I'd finished teaching children and I moved into the advisory teacher role, as probably most teachers do, you're a good teacher. You know you're a good teacher. You then think, well, I can lead staff professional development. I, I can do these training sessions. And I was absolutely sure that I could and I had all the resources and I could turn up and I can do demonstration lessons. And it was great fun and I had absolutely no training in it whatsoever. I just took what I knew from classroom to other people's classrooms and other people's schools. However, after about three or four years of that, the same teachers kept coming back in my courses. Now, I could look at at it one way and say, oh my God, my courses are so good. Everybody keeps coming back. This is great. But they were also still using the same resources I'd given them. So I gave out a Kylie Minogue CD once for a dance course. And about four years later, teachers came back and said, I'm still using that Kylie Minogue CD. And I thought, well, you shouldn't be. You should be using your own resources. I gave you that as an example of what you could use for that particular type of lesson. Why are you still using my resources? So I suddenly thought, actually, am I disempowering these teachers rather than empowering them? Because if they're still using my resources and my lesson plans, actually, they're just copying. They're not even thinking for themselves. So what am I doing here? Are they coming back because I haven't given them the skills and the confidence and more importantly, the competence to continue themselves? Have they become workshop junkies? So I started to look into training, did the train the trainer course, and I thought, okay, this is making me a better trainer, but actually, is there more to this? And just about that time, um, I had a friend who worked for the National College of School Leadership, and she said, uh, we're training a new tranche of facilitators. I think you'd be really good at it. Would you like to apply and come down for an interview? So I applied, was invited for an interview. I'm sitting in the train thinking, I have absolutely no idea what a facilitator is. I don't even know what this is. And I had to do a demonstration facilitated session. So I did what I thought was a really good facilitated session. You know, I'd read up and I thought this is going to be really good. And luckily enough, it got me through. But it wasn't till I then started working as a co-facilitator with other really experienced facilitators that I realised how bad I was. And that then started this journey of learning all about facilitation and andragogy. And it's been a roller coaster and still not stopped learning. It's fabulous. I love it because I get paid to learn. I love that. That's amazing. Paid to learn. Um, it's almost like I was about to say it's like being in school full time. And I realized I am. Um, but but the other way around, I, you yeah. used the term in there, facilitator. <laughs> um, and I'm starting to see that a little bit more. 
even with the leadership in, in my school. And then obviously you sent your bio through and I was reading a global award-winning trainer of facilitators. I, and I, I'm blown away by that. And so in your opinion, what, what's a facilitator? What is a good facilitator? And what, what are the types of things that they do? So uh, a facilitator doesn't tell answers, doesn't give opinions. They're totally neutral. They guide the discussion. It's guided discovery. So whether we're going for a consensus or when it's facilitation of andragogy, there will be some content input, but I don't give the content input. So I would set people off to research stuff or, or to contribute because if a facilitator is truly neutral, then I cannot give my content input because what I know about something is not necessarily what the participants need to know or what is relevant to them. And that's what I was doing when I was being a PE teacher trainer or I was doing the model or the demonstration lessons. I was doing these all singing, all dancing, gymnastics lessons. I was taking out all the equipment. I was, oh, that's great. The equipment hasn't been out for years. Oh, I can do that. It's no problem because of my unique skills and experience, which nobody else has. And it's the same with any teacher that stands up in front of a group of other teachers. You have a unique, a unique set of skills and experiences and baggage that nobody else has. So what you think they might need isn't necessarily what they need. If you're enjoying today's episode of the International Classroom Podcast, be sure to subscribe to our show on this platform. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode and always have access to our latest and greatest content. We would love for you to leave us a rating and review on this platform to help others discover the show. Your support helps us to continue bringing you valuable insights and inspiration from international educators and experts. So hit that subscribe button and join us on the journey into the international classroom. It's fascinating that. Is that, would you say sometimes people get that sort of misconstrued with coaching or mentoring? Um, so I quite often do a spectrum and for all those PE teachers listening out there, you will have heard of Muska Mostyn's spectrum of teaching and facilitation is on it and you can facilitate PE lessons. And I suppose that was the Bible when we were at college and we used that all the time. So we did learn how to facilitate PE lessons um, or, or episodes within the lesson. Um, so teachers use that all the time. And yes, it is similar to coaching and guided discovery. And I quite often say that facilitation is like coaching, but with a big group. And it's how you manage all that individual coaching within that group for a group session. Okay, thanks for that. So you've taken that idea of then facilitation with teaching and you've really gone, pushed it even further forward, haven't you, in terms of the use of andragogy and facilitation for leadership. How does that look? Uh, so I always say facilitation of andragogy is just leadership development because this facilitation is, a, sorry, andragogy is the concept. So it's the theory behind it, man leading man. Facilitation skills are how you do it. It's how you lead. And so the, the competency framework that I use to train my facilitators, which I just happen to have handy here, it's always on my desk, is the same competency framework that I would use for developing a leader. It's emotional intelligence competencies along with skills in group management, designing learning, inquiry strategies, things like that. It's the same type of competency framework. It's just the skills that any good leader has. If they're a facilitator, they're a good leader. And so that kind of ties in with um, 
So the return on investment, everybody that I've trained as a facilitator, I track their career. And I'm on at the moment about 85% of everybody that does my three-day training program gets promoted, takes on a new project, becomes a better leader. So it's just leadership development. Facilitation of andragogy is how you lead adults. So what would you say are some of the key principles of leading adults? Um, so anybody can, again, I'm not going to give content, anybody can Google um, key principles of andragogy and you can find them there and there's relevance and all the rest of it. The biggest one I think is the previous experience that people have and quite often as teachers we make the assumption that people don't have previous experience or the experience that we have rather than finding out exactly what previous experience they've got. So for example when we came on this call at the start and you said to me oh how was your holiday and you asked me about the city I'd been in my first question to you was have you been there because I could have started telling you all about it which would have been pointless if you'd been so it's that very first question you know have you been there what do you know about this what have you done about this already what skills do you have related to this and in a room you'll find all sorts of things. I was once pulled into a school to do some middle leadership and I asked the group for a little bit of background. There was a guy sitting in front of me with a PhD. <laughs> he actually didn't need any leadership skills at all. He was very skilled, very competent and very, very annoyed that his head teacher thought he needed middle leadership skills. So if I hadn't done that first, and the clue was the folded arms in front of me, <laughs> if I hadn't done that first, it was going to be an absolute disaster. So what do you do with someone like that then? We actually abandoned the whole session. Once I'd found out what's that in front of me, all the skills, all the experience, I thought, oh my God, the person in this school that needs the leadership development is actually the head teacher. So what we decided was that rather than me doing the input that had been planned, we were going to change it to one-to-one -one coaching. So we went outside, we had a cup of coffee and we put some coaching slots in and we changed it into coaching. That's amazing. I think often, again, people get really fixated, don't they? They go, right, I'm doing this course, I'm doing this. And they lose that flexibility and adaptability. And that seems to be one of the things you, you kind of really focus in on is being flexible with the approach. Yeah, I have to go where the learners take me. And the great thing about being a trained facilitator is you have processes for all sorts of situations that you can fall back on at any point. So it's literally um, deciding in the moment, okay, so, so what is happening here and what is the best process for this? And yeah, I've got all sorts of processes up my sleeve. And, and yesterday I had a call with... Um, a campus leader in Scotland and he said, you know, I want to do this and I don't know how to do it. And I said, oh, just give me five minutes to think about this. And yeah, yeah, I've got the process. Okay, we can do that. That's two hours. We can do that. I remember the process. It's fine. So your the program you do, your training is endorsed by Education Scotland, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh -huh. Which was quite a lot of hoops to jump through. <laughs> yeah. So do you find yourself quite busy then within, I know you said internationally earlier, but do you find yourself relatively busy then within the Scotland schools? Um, 
it varies. So I trained a whole tranche. I did about three different trainings with the Education Scotland lead professionals. So they are all trained facilitators now. Well, most of them are. I know there's a lot of new ones over lockdown, um, but a lot of the senior ones are all trained. So my whole idea is to make myself redundant. So once they're trained with a wee bit of coaching every now and again, I shouldn't have to go back. And that is one of the things that breaks my heart. I did a lot of facilitation training in Brunei. I would love to go back and see these lovely people, but I'm redundant. I don't need to go back. Um, I could have business. Probably got some business teachers listening and going, your business model there is (laughs) make myself redundant. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I know it's not, but for me, it's not all about the money. That's the thing, um, which again is different, and maybe I should think differently about it. But if I am having to go back and back, I'm not doing my job properly. It's not sustainable. So I have to make myself redundant to make sure I've done my job properly. Um, so yeah, I do work with local authorities in Scotland. I've been up in Aberdeen in the last couple of weeks and it was North Ayrshire yesterday. I've done a lot of work with them and that's the local authority that I won the award with. They are really forward thinking and doing some fabulous things down there. So just to give the listeners and the people watching this kind of a taste, you know, what would let's say a a brief overview anyway, a a day in working with you in terms of training to be a facilitator, what would that encompass? What are the types of things you do? Okay, so if we look at just day one of the training programme, so the whole, it's it's like immersion swimming. (laughs) I put you in the pool so that you're doing it. I'm modelling it, you're doing it and experiencing it. And then we're debriefing and unpacking it to discuss and learn from what you've experienced and then building it back up again. So day one is all about um, finding out what you really want to develop, what skills you want to develop, because I am conscious that pretty much everybody that comes in my programme will have dabbled with leading teacher professional development. So I want to find out what they're good at, what they enjoy, and actually what worries the life out of them, what they are petrified at. Um, Because then they can set their own learning agenda and everybody in that room has a different learning agenda. So that is done before our first break. They all set their own personal learning agenda. Now, bearing in mind that I quite often work in foreign countries and China is one of them. If they put these post-its up in the wall in Chinese, I can't read that. So I don't even need to know your learning agenda. So it's fine. It's yours. It belongs to you. Uh, Once they've set that, we then move on to looking at the concept of andragogy. So we've discovered the why at the very start. We look at what, what exactly is andragogy? And we do some research into the research and evidence behind it. And that takes us up to about lunchtime. In the afternoon, we look at, well, how do you do that? How do you do andragogy? What are the skills that you need to make sure that you include every single person sitting in front of you? So once we've discovered a bit more about that and adult learning preferences, uh, the last bit of the day is setting objectives for your session that you've maybe come along thinking, oh my God, I've got a session coming up that I need to do on this. It's a faculty meeting or whatever. Um, And we quite often swap these around. So we'll give your faculty meeting topic to somebody else so they can set the objectives for it and then pass it back to you. See what happens then. So we make it a real life contextual situation so that you've actually got something useful as well to take away even after day one. That's amazing. 
so for people out there, if they were interested in terms of this is all about the international classroom. So if they wanted to, to find out more about this, I'm just giving you the opportunity here to pitch yourself. Um, if they wanted to find out more or, or come on to one of these courses, how, how could they um, go about getting in contact with you or do you do online? I'm giving you an opportunity to sell yourself here even, even more so. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the best way to do these courses are face-to-face. So three days immersion is the best way, the quickest, the most concise and the most effective way to do it. So I will travel anywhere in the world to do a three-day programme. Um, it can't be done online, okay? And anybody that says it can be will take your money for nothing. It's like teaching cartwheels online. You can't teach gymnastics online. And it's exactly the same. It's the minutest of movements that will be missed online. Um, And over lockdown, there's been lots of lots of online facilitators. Put them in a face-to-face situation and they will actually drown in that swimming pool because simple things like knowing how to set up the room, knowing where the windows should be orientated in relation to your learners, knowing how to stand, knowing where to look, whether it's to flip charts or your PowerPoint or this, that, the next thing. It's face-to-face because every single thing that I do, even the pace of my breathing, is modelled. So they can contact me by email, by Twitter, on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Just Google me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we'll put all your social handles up as well for this as we go through. So everyone, if they want to reach out to you, you'll be able to find those. Um, Definitely well worth a follow on LinkedIn. That's how we first met, isn't it? It came across Joyce. I think I, we were talking previously uh, about andragogy, and it's a real area of interest of mine. Um, my master's of education, I focused in my dissertation, I focused on andragogy. And I, I was someone, again, who had that perception. I was looking at adult learning. So I, is, it, is it Knowles? I can't remember if I Yes, Malcolm Knowles. Ago, yeah, yeah. Malcolm Knowles. That's it. Mm-hmm. So looking, looking at those components and going, that makes sense to me. Like, in terms of giving it back to the teachers, let them use their expertise. Because as teachers here and people listening, we have all sat through professional development where we've been talked at or talked to. And you kind of go and look, how does this apply to my subject, to my skill set? How can I use what you're telling me? Um, and I think what you're saying really just reinforce, and I'm sure will resonate with a lot of people listening and watching, where it's like, oh, just, yeah, that's what I need. I need a facilitator or I want to be a facilitator of learning. Um, and even teachers, you know, you don't, I think for my sake, you don't have to be in leadership for this. If you're in your classroom with students in front of you, I would say, consider yourself a facilitator of learning, you know, in terms of pushing it back onto the students, you know, allow them to make mistakes. I think we're all, as teachers, we're, we kind of got to that point, we're a little bit scared of that now. Um, it's like, no, it's, it's all about attainment and progress. Whereas actually biggest impact that will drive that for you is developing the student skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. And every mistake is a learning opportunity and it absolutely is in facilitation. And when I think sometimes of my kind of early facilitation, um, there would be times where I would go into the pit and think, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of this? And one of the best things about andragogy is the, the trust that the people in the room have all the answers Um the key is just to turn it back. OK, we've got to this point and I'm not quite sure what's happening here. Where should we go? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you. They know every time. Yeah. Yeah. I was having this discussion with someone in school today about middle leadership, actually, in the first year, first, maybe second or third year about going into middle leadership and the perception that the the, the leader has themselves is that I should know everything. I should have an answer to everything. And I think we were having this discussion because 
more often than not, people who end up as middle leaders are either the best teachers sometimes or, or have those qualities that doesn't necessarily always make them the best leader. And they're not then trained or developed. I don't know many schools, and this is something I would be interested in, don't know many schools that run middle leadership programs to help support their staff. Which kind of brings me on to my next question would be, if you, if someone's listening to this, um, you know, watching this, what would be kind of your key points for them if they were looking or to, to sort of develop a leadership program, a middle leadership program, some sort of transitional program? What effective strategies would you get them to build into their program? So this is one of these strange serendipitous questions because when I was trained as a facilitator for the National College it was to train middle leadership program facilitators <laughs> so it was all about middle leadership and it was all about the facilitation of the middle leadership program so yeah there's all sorts of good stuff out there but I would say exactly what we're discussing is rather than thinking about leadership because this is another big hang up of mine um a great thing about facilitation is the words you choose to use. Leadership is the biggest white elephant in the history of the world because we say leadership, it's what's called a nominalization. It's um, it's a noun that is formed out of a verb to lead. And when we say leadership, every single person that hears it thinks of something different. So do we ever get leadership right? We never get leadership right, ever. I, I don't believe we do. But if you teach the skills to lead, to lead adults, that's a completely different thing. And so I would say, and this is my opinion, based on my experience of leadership programs across the world, teach your middle leaders the skills of facilitation. And they will only get better as they rise up. And because they're in that middle, they will then influence the next people coming through, the next cohort of teachers coming through. So there's no point in teaching head teachers facilitation or school principals. It's to be honest, it's too late by then. You need to start at the middle and work your way up. And by the time the middles go all the way up, and they will, they will, the whole school will be steeped in the process of andragogy and facilitation, which will change your results. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's also then once you tie up that culture of to lead, it's also combined to what you do in your classroom in terms of to learn um, rather than being taught. I think that's a real, a real powerful mindset to take in, and that that's it's a trickle down, a trickle up. It's it's a real culture change of that. So I love that. That's a great way to look at it. Thanks for that. Um, but some of that, that's some of the real positives, and I feel very inspired by that. But surely there must be some challenges within this as well, some some obstacles. So what would you say are some of the challenges you face when trying to implement this? Um, so you sent me through these questions in advance and I scribbled down my gut reactions. And in answer to that question, I'm going to be honest and say what I put down. Challenges and obstacles, ignorance and arrogance. <laughs> and I'm going to give you an example of when I was ignorant and arrogant. Um, when I was at PE college, we were doing tennis. I thought I had the best tennis serve in the world. <laughs> I just thought it was so good. I mean, I'm pretty rubbish at tennis, but my server was brilliant, I thought. So the arrogance and the confidence of the young that my server is really good, you know, got in the right box, all the rest of it was quite powerful. Um, but the ignorance, because I'd never seen my tennis serve. And when it was videoed, oh my God, it was horrific, absolutely horrific. So a similar thing with teachers leading professional development, the 
arrogance, overconfidence of I can do this. I'm a really good teacher. It's just taking what I know in front of other teachers. It's fine. I can do this. The ignorance because you don't know any different. They don't know any better. They've never seen really elegant facilitation in They've never experienced elegant facilitation. So when you're in that wee bubble, it feels safe, it feels comfortable. And then as soon as you step out of it, and this does happen on day one of my program, and I tell you, I'll take you into the pit, it will be uncomfortable because you'll suddenly realise, oh my God, I wasn't doing what I thought I was doing, which was definitely my experience with tennis. It's been my experience with golf. It, I still play hockey. It's been my experience with some of my hockey. Um, yeah, and we all know that you can't have deep, profound learning unless you go into that pit and it is a wee bit uncomfortable. So, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Come in my course, I'll make you uncomfortable. That's another great selling point. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what a pitch line, a unique selling point there for you, Joyce, yeah. Um, it's interesting, what you said there reminded me of a story I heard about Boris Becker. Um so obviously when he was a 17-year-old, but he was talking about, I think later in life, he was saying that when he was younger, he wasn't allowed to play with the boys. He could only train tennis. He actually only played with the girls. Um, and he said, obviously, as he went on, it, he said, did that affect you? Did it mind? Did you bother? And he's like, no. It's like, I'll play anyone and be told anything. You know, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And what he showed from that is just pure humility. And that even though he'd won Wimbledon, was he still the youngest male? 17-year-old. It's like he was humble enough to recognize that I'll work with anyone, speak with anyone, play anyone to get that feedback. And it's, that's the one thing that's it's stuck with me for years, that feedback is the breakfast of champions. And it's then interesting, isn't it, in terms of what do we say has some of the biggest impact on students as learners, adults as learners, it's feedback. So really, really interesting that. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I do um, right at the start of my program. I I'll teach you a way to give evidential feedback so that by the time I've left you and you're left with your cohort of facilitators or your co-facilitator, you can actually give each other feedback ongoing. So I use a technique called CBI feedback, which is purely based on evidence, what people see, what people say, what people do. Um, and we start that from day one as well so that it it's, it's built into the program and I leave you with that, that you can keep learning with each Amazing. other. Amazing. I want to go back to focus on that sort of the ignorance and arrogance that you talked about. I can that can come at any age, can't it? it? Doesn't you don't have to be someone who's long in the tooth for it. No, I, and you know some people say is it the the arrogance of the young or all the rest of it, but actually I've had some people come in my course who've been teaching for thirty years and thought they'd seen it all, done it all, and this has put them right in the pit, and they have rebelled in some ludicrously childish ways uh, like you know when we've been putting post-its up in a flip chart they've just written a list of rude words and things like that hey teachers <laughs> hey teachers I know <laughs> but it's it's that out of their comfort zone not quite sure how to react and and I thought I knew it all and all of a sudden I've realized I don't so <laughs> yeah and I think it's that skill set of what to do when you don't know what to do um that's a big thing coming into schools at the moment is like the metacognition and learning is what to do when you don't know what to do and it's kind of all these things seem to be kind of just starting to amalgamate and come together a little bit yeah 
Yeah. And I was working there with a group of facilitators that I had trained. And this was for a program we were running in Scotland um, called Excellence in Headship. And yeah, somebody had put something on the board that the other facilitators were flapping about and panicking about. And, oh, should we take this down, Joyce? And I said, no, let it sit. Let's just let it sit and see what happens. And eventually... He came and took it down himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, how, how do you overcome that? Well, some adults are more adult than other adults, and we have to let them <laughs> be adults. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, adults are responsible for their own actions. And I didn't find it offensive. I, find, I found it it's a really good learning point for the facilitators I was training. That was a really good learning point. What do you do? Well, I'm going to let it sit. Oh, we can't let it sit. We need to take it down. No, let, let's let it sit because I'm not bothered about that. It's his learning. Let's just let it sit. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because even people who are leading PD in schools, people who are involved in PD in schools, you do get that. It doesn't matter where you are, what you're trying to deliver, whether you're in a small department trying to lead something, you know, you do get that. Um, it's interesting. I love sports as much as you do. Um, I'm a big rugby fan, so it's interesting to have a Scottish person on after the weekend. Mm-hmm. But congratulations to you. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know and don't follow, uh, Scotland beat England at rugby at Twickenham for the third year, third year in a row. So no surprises let's, there. Yeah, um, let's a, just see if they can keep it up, though. <laughs> well, it always happens, doesn't it? First game, and I go, right, Scotland are going to win the Six Nations. And then second game, I don't know, it all goes to pot. But uh, as a scientist, three times in a row, you know, it's not, that's not a fluke. Um, it's not a fluke, but, uh, you know, in terms of what we were getting to, I always transient. I always go off on tangents, by the way, so I never forget what I was going to talk about. It just seems to happen, but, uh, um, that's okay. In terms, in terms of, in terms of when we talk about small groups and we talk about sports and we talk about sort of trying to build trust with people, we all have those sort of individuals, don't we, that are in our teams, that are in PD, that, really just are disinterested and it was the sports side funnily enough alex ferguson um he said there was four types of people when he sent his scouts out you may have heard this story i'll ask you the question now have you heard this one about how alex ferguson scouts describe the, the sports people no i haven't tell me tell so me <laughs> he said <laughs> okay um he said well we look for four types of people you've got sheeps and shepherds which makes perfect sense shepherds are the leaders and sheep are people who follow but he said, the other two we look out for are corpses and terrorists. He said, corpses you will see in terms of sports and in terms of life, whatever it is, we will lie there and do nothing. In other words, they play dead. And he said, terrorists, as I said, they're the ones that come into your institutions, into your teams, and just, well, I won't say the word he used. He said, they mess, they mess everything up. And he said, that's how he categorized people. And that's another thing that stuck with me, whether I'm coaching rugby for children or for adults, or again, how I look at you know, the people that I work with quickly start to identify, well, who's my sheep and shepherd? Who is, who's a corpse? You know, and we see them sat there and, and offer nothing versus then who are the, the terrorists that will write those, you know, profanities and stick them up there because they want to just mess everything up. Um, but I thought that was a really insightful way to, to kind of categorize people. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and we quite often talk about this when we're training facilitators and, and how to overcome different types of people. And the ultimate in andragogy to me would be to make everything optional. All your meetings, all your training, optional. Because they're adults, they can choose. 
that would be really interesting. I once went to a course I, when I was in Newcastle. I came up to Edinburgh for a course and we came in, we signed in and we all sat down and the lady said, okay, here's all your certificates. And she gave them all out and she said, now it's up to you if you stay or if you want to have a day's shopping. Now, I thought long and hard. <laughs> I thought, oh God, Edinburgh, shops, oh, oh, oh no, I've actually come in this course to learn. No, I'm going to stay. And I've tried that quite a few times on my programmes. Here's your certificate. You can stay or go because I only want people here that want to learn. And you always get the right people. So that's saying there's a lot of, um, who was it, Simon said, right people on the bus. I think it was uh, the Good to Great book. We've heard that, like, talk about getting the right people on the bus. It's very same, isn't it, in terms of the people who want to be there, want to work, want to learn. Ah, try that with my meeting. I imagine a lot of people listening, there's a fear. You said that. I imagine there's a, a little bit of fear they start clamoring up because people are, are worried about perception, aren't they? It's like, what if they don't turn up? How's that going to look on me? It's like, and you try and reassure people, I would say, well, actually, that's, no, that's of no impact on you. If they choose not to come, that shows you the type of person they are and, and obviously the respect and the value of the team. Um, I love a good, I love reading good books, like books that are nothing to do with education, but focus on leadership. And there's a book, uh, called Team of Teams. And it was to do with, uh, one of the American, I think, generals in the beginning of Afghan war. And it was how he managed to get the concurrent, you know, delegation of information, you know, to everyone. And instead of him going, right, just all the generals or all the lieutenants only come to these meetings or it's only specific for the Navy or for the Air Force. He kind of went the other way and go, if we're meeting, everyone turns up. Everyone from every faculty, from every branch turns up so that there's a complete level of transparency and understanding across everyone. And he likened it to Napoleon. Is it Napoleon? Who basically inspired his captains against the Spanish Armada so that they could take control. So when the proverbial hit the fan, it's like, well, you don't need me. You don't have to relay information to me. I trust you to know what you're doing, you know, in terms of leadership. And it was the same in this, right? We're all informed. Everyone knows what they're doing. If something you can take control, you can lead, you can do, rather than the hierarchical approach that happened in the Spanish Armada. It was like, no, we pass the information back. Then we get told what to do. And it sounds very similar to that in terms of we want leaders and teachers to you know we kind of say you know all teachers are leaders but they don't all act the same way do they and it sounds almost i think from if you were someone who wanted to come and do your course or work with you what you're going to get from that is the empowerment to you know to so all leaders can do that and therefore make decisions and be trustworthy and be valued yeah uh-huh because then we're almost moving on to hutagogy which is another word further Ooh. on from andragogy <laughs> Yeah, uh, you that's, that's your homework. And not tell us. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't. Right. I can't. Going to be asking, how, how, how do you spell that word? Okay, I'm, go- I'm going to just write it out so I can spell it. It's H-E-U-T-A-G-O-G-Y. So obviously I'll give you the clue. The, the goji at the end, again, comes from agogos, to lead. So who's leading who here? That's your homework. Oh, yeah, thanks. Well, that sounds like a perfect time to finish this. So... Joyce, leaving us on that bombshell of hootagogy, I think. Was that, am I saying that right? Hootagogy? Hootagogy, absolutely spot on. Yep. All right. We're, gonna have, we're all going to have to go and Google this because we'll just to make sure you're not making up words. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, that's an idea because I quite often make up quotes. I will tell you that. I quite often make up quotes. That's another thing, teachers. 
check your quotes in your PowerPoint. I used a quote for years and I said it came from McKinsey because I genuinely thought it did. I said it came from how the schools, uh, the world's best school systems keep getting better. And then one day I checked it. I had just made that up. And nobody had ever challenged me, ever. And so now I, I use the quote. I don't attribute it to anybody. And I then tell the story. Always check the quotes that people put up in the slides because nine out of 10 times, are you sure they come from where they come from? You must have said it with such confidence for so long that people just believed you. I believed me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joyce, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this. I really appreciate your time. It's been a delight. So thank you ever so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the International Classroom. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joyce Matthews and it got you thinking about how to develop leadership skills within your organization. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Until then, keep learning, growing and making that positive impact on your classroom. Happy teaching, everyone.